listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Luke, chapter number one. I think about with the advent of social media, one of the things that has become almost bigger than the event is the announcement of the future event. It's almost that, that, that what has become almost bigger than the wedding is the announcement that there's going to be a wedding. You see the pictures, and, and he's, he's down on the knee, and he's proposing, and, and she's got the, oh, and you just wonder how many times they had to recreate that. You know, it wasn't real that, you know, okay, the, you know, the dog jumped in front or your hair wasn't right. So let's do it again. And he does. And so, but there's just this, this interest, this, this have to show everybody that there's going to be an event and, and none are bigger than this craze that's going on right now, which is the baby reveal. And I mean, if you've not watched some of the YouTube videos of baby reveals gone wrong, you really need to do that. Now, some of them, you know, you'll go, oh my goodness, bless their heart. But I mean, it's, some of them are honestly yeah, at their expense, a little bit funny. But the, the whole baby reveal. So we're all outside and we pop the balloon and it blows pink or it blows blue and we're all excited and it's on social media and we can see what's coming. And you know what? It's not a thing wrong with that. I'm just noticing that is a big trend now, especially because of social media. When we come to Luke chapter 1, after we got through the little introductory paragraph last week, we get to Luke chapter number 1, and Luke's going to begin building his case on the life of Jesus in in order to make sure that, that his friend Theophilus is convinced of the things that he's been told. Luke has gone out and he's scoured all of the documents. He's listened to eyewitness testimony. He's applied scholarly practices so that he can put together an authoritative and as complete as possible record of the life of Christ so that his friend the Gentile, the most excellent Theophilus, might be convinced of the things that he's learned so that he might not question his place as a follower of Jesus, even though he very likely was a Gentile. And so Luke begins with about two chapters of baby reveal. He, he's getting excited about the event that's going to happen in these revelations of what it's about to occur, but I promise you, none of the baby reveal parties you've ever been to looked anything like these that we're going to discuss in these first couple of chapters of Luke. So as we look at this first scene, Luke goes all the way back to the beginning and says, Theophilus, the story of Jesus, well, it starts honestly with another guy who came onto the scene in a pretty remarkable way. We're calling today's little time together, we're having a baby. Luke chapter number one, if you've got your Bibles, if you've got the app, I would encourage you to download our church app. You can find the notes under the Sunday section, follow right along, we'll have the scripture on here as well, or open your paper Bible, it's what I like, it's what I do. So, Luke chapter number 1, verse number 5. 
We're going to look first at a faithful couple. A faithful couple. Luke says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamely in all the commandments and sta- uh, blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. There, there, there goes Luke being politically correct. And not saying she was an old lady and he was an old dude. Not saying she was 70. Not saying he was an old 80. No, they were advanced in years. This faithful couple, Luke sets this scene for Theophilus. And he, he's great at pulling in details that will help for the timetable so that, so that people like Theophilus and others who are from the Gentile world will be able to follow along about where things are happening at the time in which they are happening. And so Luke sets this scene in the, in the reign of Herod known as Herod the Great. Now, this is around maybe 5-6 B.C., 5-6-5-4 B.C., and so Herod is coming very close to the end of his reign. He's going to die in about 4 B.C. So Herod the Great is reigning, and Luke lets Theophilus know that's where it's, it's happening. He calls him the king of Judea, but, but let's, let's give this the uh, honor it deserves. He wasn't really the king of Judea. That was just the title that the Romans who appointed him as the peacekeeper, keeping everybody quiet in this realm that we own called Palestine. You keep all them in order, Herod, and we'll let you call yourself the king of Judea. You notice that Luke even put it in lower case, king. Zechariah is mentioned. Zechariah is a Levitical priest. His name means the Lord remembers. Keep that in mind. That might be significant here in a second. Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. He was a Levitical priest, and Luke identifies him as being of the division of Abijah. Now, we're just going to tell you, okay? I'm really trying. I know that I can get a little too long on Sundays. I know that. I'm trying, okay? But what I really want to do is I really want to park right here and tell you all of the history that goes into him being in the division of Abijah. But I am not going to. Okay? Thank you, Chad. I need that encouragement. Or I'm going to go. If y'all say preach, I'm going to go. But you say amen, I know. Let's keep it within the framework. So can I just tell you this? This him being in the division of Abijah goes all the way back to Aaron, Moses' brother, and his two youngest sons from which the priestly organization was built. 
Moses had two older sons, Nadab and Abihu, and they both died doing something wrong in the Old Testament. We may talk about that here in just a little bit. But then Aaron had two younger sons who had sons. One had 18, the other had six. That together makes 24 sons of the two youngest sons of Aaron. And in those 24 sons became 24 divisions of priests so that the Levitical priest would serve in division. Now at this time, and likely in that time as well, they would travel two times per year to the city of Jerusalem where their division would serve in the temple sacrifices, in the temple worship. They would go two times a year and they would stay there for eight days. And Abijah was the eighth division of Aaron's youngest two sons, sons that go all the way back to him. David is the one, King David is the one who organized this. Now, the cool thing is, remember in our study in Lamentations, what happened to Judah? They ultimately got sent to Babylon for 70 years and a lot of the temple worship got left alone because there was no temple. They were in Babylon. And then 70 years later, the people of Judah came back and repopulated the city of Jerusalem and they began to take from about a a thousand priests that were left, they split up those thousand and they reconstituted the 24 divisions of priests under the same historical names of which Zechariah was a part. There you go. Three minutes instead of 20. So Luke is telling Theophilus kind of where Zechariah fits in. His division just, and, and the folks listening online, not watching, won't see the quotes. It just happened to be that Zechariah was coming to serve in this one of only two weeks of the whole year. And Zechariah was serving at this time. Zechariah had a wife. Her name was Elizabeth. Now, her name means... The covenant or the oath of God. That might be important here in just a minute. The covenant or the oath of God. Luke says that Elizabeth is also from one of the daughters of Aaron. So they're from the same big, big picture lineage. So you've got Zechariah, you've got Elizabeth. He's a priest of the eighth division and he's been called up to serve and they were, verse number six, Luke says, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, here's what Luke did not say. He did not say they were sinless. Zechariah and Elizabeth were not sinless. What he means by blameless is that they were wholeheartedly following after Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, their forefathers. They were consistently serving and walking to the best of their ability under the statutes of the law. Now, come on, y'all all know that they couldn't keep 
the law, so how could they possibly be blameless? Well, because in those arenas where they could not keep the commandments, they faithfully participated in the sacrificial system that God had instituted so that their sins might be covered, not removed, but covered until those sins might be dealt with in a more uh, permanent fashion. I think you know in which direction I'm looking. God says, these folks were authentic. They were following the Lord. They were seeking after Him. And they were following to the best of their abilities His statutes, precepts, and commandments. But don't you notice, if you put their names together, Zechariah, meaning the Lord remembers and Elizabeth meaning the oath or covenant of God. If you combine those together in one flesh, which they were on the day they committed themselves before God and these witnesses that they would no longer be two but one, what do they end up saying together? The Lord remembers the covenants of God. And you say, is that what Luke was going for here? Uh Uh-uh. But do I think that's what God was going for here? You better believe I do. It's not a coincidence that Zechariah was serving this one of two weeks. It's not a coincidence that he fell in love with a young lady who just happened to be named Elizabeth. But at least that's what I think. We see this faithful couple And then Luke tells us the most important detail about them for this story. And that is, Elizabeth was barren. They had no children. You see, for the the Jewish woman, even in this time, for centuries and centuries before, ever since the constitution of the family, Children were a reflection of joy in your home. They not only provided for you labor in the field and posterity into the future, but once the Messiah was told of his coming, it gave you hope that very possibly one of your children, male in particular, just might be him. You see, they had no context that he was going to be God himself. So maybe for a woman to not have children was a stigma and a burden and the feeling that God does not care about me. I think about those in the Old Testament who, like Elizabeth, were barren. You think about Sarah, Abraham's bride. Promised a child and then years passed and no child. And well, let's just fix this ourselves. And boy, a mess that they made. And then you think about Jacob's wife, uh, Rachel, who for a while had no children while her sister Leah had four of her own. And then even Rachel began to try to go through other men. You think about a lady by the name of Hannah, 
who every year went to the place where the tabernacle was with her husband, Elkanah, and he had another wife who had children, but Hannah did not, and she couldn't even eat because she was so broken and burdened, and she ultimately went to the tabernacle where she just poured her heart out to God, so much so that Eli the priest thought she was drunk in her prayer. You see, Elizabeth falls into that category of burdened, faithful, follower of God who for whatever reason had not been blessed with children. As we go along throughout today, rather than waiting to the end, I'm going to give you some takeaways. Takeaway number one, faithfulness to God in this life does not guarantee health, wealth, or happiness. If you ever hear a preacher of God's Word tell you, if you will be faithful to God, then God will give you earthly health, earthly wealth, and earthly happiness. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to stop the video. You need to close the book. Don't give it away because you don't want to put that in somebody else's hand. You need to walk away from them. I'm not saying that they're not Christians. I'm not even saying that they don't mean well, but I am saying that that's not the gospel. This couple was overwhelmingly faithful, and yet in the realities of this life, they were most heartbroken because faithful Service to God does not guarantee health, wealth, or happiness in this life. But I tell you what it will guarantee, joy and confidence in the fact that this life does not reflect the blessings that are mine already and that will be mine in full when Christ returns and resurrection is mine as well. Amen? Okay, so we see this faithful couple. Luke starts the scene. We're having a baby with a couple that ain't had no babies and are past the age of having babies, advanced in years. I'm figuring, Al, Pat, you're probably not expecting a baby for Christmas. That's just my guess. He'll get me back. Don't worry about that. And it'll be for weeks he'll get me back for that. One little jab he'll give. I love you. Okay. So that faithful couple. Then Luke moves on to an angelic encounter. Ooh, that sounds exciting. Let's read. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. All right, so let's just stop right there. We're going to go a little further in a minute, but let's just stop right there. These Levitical priests divided into 20 divisions. There were about 20,000 of them. 50 would serve on a given day. 
That's why you, 20,000 total, and then your branch would go two times a year, and you would serve for eight days because it took about 50 different ones to serve for a full day in the temple. The different uh, uh, worship opportunities, the different sacrifices, the different hours of prayer and praise, and so it took about 50. And so we understand that now Zechariah is serving on this particular day, And the way they decided who was going to serve in what capacity was through the casting of lots. Okay, now this makes a lot of Baptist Christians a little nervous because, you know, a lot of them don't play cards and you better not be caught with dice, how dare you. Well, I'm sorry. But that's pretty much how they were doing it. Now they weren't, you know, blowing and counting on set. They weren't doing it that way. But they were likely reaching into a bag and grabbing one of about 50 stones with a job identifier on it. You reach in, so you line up, and it's day one, so we need, all right, we need the first division of the division of Abijah, and y'all step up, and we'll just reach in, first 50 of y'all, you'll grab, you'll pull out your job, okay? There was one stone in there that was different than all the rest. In some translations, in some words, it's even, it's even identified like a white stone. So the idea is there was a particular stone that if you reached in and you pulled it out, you had the number one job for the day. The number one job of the day was to, and actually they did it twice in the morning and the evening. The number one job for that particular service or, or hours of service was to take incense into the holy place. Now, let me remind you about how the tabernacle first and then the temple was set up. You had an outer court of the temple where all the priests could, you know, they could congregate and, and, and there were, if I'm not mistaken, that, that was a place that also folks could come and congregate if they were, you know, if they were cleansed and able to, to go in that presence. There was a, a big water laver, they called it, and there was the brazen altar that was kept really hot and then the sacrifices would be made and those pieces of the sacrifice would be laid up as a burnt offering right there on the, the altar. And it would be burnt up. And for some sacrifices, the priests would get to eat some of it. In some sacrifices, everything had to be burnt up. But that is where the sacrifices were made in the tabernacle then and a temple into this time right here that we're looking at. And that was where God covered the sins of the people while he's waiting to deal with it more permanently. I think you know who I'm talking about. So that's what happened in the outer court. To burn incense, you would take some of the coals off of the burnt offering that represented the death of the innocent sacrifice. You would take some coals, and then you would get some, it was kind of like a potpourri. It was some spices that were clearly defined by God in Exodus chapter number 30. Here are the ingredients. Here are the amounts. You put that together, and you bring them in on a censer, and you would come into the Holy of Holies. Nobody could go into the Holy of Holies except for the Levitical priest to burn incense 
or the Levitical priest to fill the, 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 the little bowls on which the seven-ended candlestick always burned or to bring in the bread that would be laid on the table of showbread, one recognizing the provision of God. There were 12 loaves representing 12 tribes, counting on God to provide their needs both agriculturally and financially. And then you had the candlestick that was always burning, reminding you that God's light is always shining. You can't always see him, but he's always there. And then you would come in with the hot coals and the potpourri, the incense, and you would put it on the altar of incense, a smaller version of the one that's out there burning sacrifice. You'd put the coals down, and then you would sprinkle the incense on, and then you would back away. The priest would, and wait for it to smoke. And as it began to smoke, it would fill the tabernacle way back when and the temple in this time. It would fill it with a sweet aroma. How many of you like to burn incense in your house right now? Yeah, see, some of you are afraid that's going to make you look like a hippie. It goes all the way back. It's all the way back. It's cool. Burn it. Smell it. It's good. And it would go up in the smoke, and the priest would begin to pray for the people. And his praying would not be for the, 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 the covering of their sin. That, that happens out here on the altar. The prayers would be that God would fulfill his promises, that he would continue to care for his people and use his people and bring about faithfulness into them as they wait on the promised Messiah. That's what they would do every day in the morning and in the evening. And it just so quote unquote happened that Zechariah, the Lord remembers, who's married to Elizabeth, the covenant of God. The Lord remembers the covenant of God. It just happened to be Zechariah's day to serve. And it just happened to be the day he pulled out the stone that said he gets to burn incense. If you're not convinced yet, let me give you one more fact. As a Levitical priest, you were only allowed to pull the white stone one time in your life. But boy, isn't that an awesome coincidence that the Lord remembers the covenant, just happened to be serving that day, and just happened to pull the once-in-a-lifetime stone. Verse number 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Now, let me tell you why he was troubled. First of all, there was some dude standing in the holy place that probably was glowing. I'm just saying that probably was happening, okay? They did that, angels did. They like to glow. I don't know if it's showing out, but they did that. Some dude was standing there where nobody was supposed to be. And here's something interesting. This is just a fact that I read from a, a Jewish scholar. Jewish tradition, according to this scholar, said that in the holy place, that there was a place reserved for God to stand and that was on the right side of the altar of incense. And there was a place for an angel representative to stand on the left side of the place. Now, you say, well, what was so significant about that? Because, remember when I said Aaron had two sons named Nadab and Abihu? 
Well, those two fools thought it would be a smart idea to change up the potpourri, the incense that God had specifically said how to be burned. They thought it would smell a little better with some frankincense instead of the other ingredient. And they put it together and they went and burned incense before God and boom, dead. Now, think that was in recognition of, no, I said put this stuff in it. And you guys went and burned what God called strange fire. I mean, you went and did something that you knew wasn't right. So Nabonidab and Bayou, and these Israelites knew that story. In fact, these Levitical priests were made up of two of the youngest sons because those other two fools were dead. So I can only imagine as Zechariah puts the incense in the coals and he's backing up and he's, he's praying, pro- probably scripted prayers, probably they were, as he's praying and as he happens to look up and he sees a being. Now, where did Luke stay? He was standing on the right side. Now, if Jewish tradition is accurate, then who does Zechariah think he's looking at God. And what does he probably think God has come to do? Kill him. Somebody messed up the incense and now I'm going down because of it. So this is not just like, you know, you walk around the corner and your wife is standing there and you're like, hey, and she she startles you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like blood rushing from your head and standing there white and probably about to get sick to my stomach because there's God standing on the right side of the altar. I'm dead. Zachariah's probably wishing he'd have felt around a couple of more times in the bag before he pulled it out. Fear, verse 12, fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Takeaway number two. Earthly honors. Was Zachariah's honor that day an earthly honor? I mean, once in a lifetime. I mean, is it possible that through his lifetime, he might have reached in that bag and never pulled out the special stuff? Of course The odds were probably far more in his favor, but that day he pulled it out and no no doubt when he did, he probably held it up and all his buddies cheered and they're like, yes, Zachariah, go man, you're the one, yes. Word probably got back to Elizabeth, hey, Zachariah, pull the stone, he's burning incense and she's probably in a room praying, Lord, thank you so much for giving my husband this wonderful honor to be able to come. It's so fantastic. And no doubt, Zechariah's nervous and he's going in and this is the most exciting day of his life. But things changed pretty quickly, did it not? Takeaway number two, earthly honors are great, but they pale in comparison to God's activity in your life. In your life, you are going to be presented with opportunities to be honored. I'll just be real honest with you. Every year in October, 
that Sunday, Mike comes down. I know I got to give him the microphone and he's got to say what he's going to say. And you guys have always been so generous and so very kind. And I just got to be honest, I just don't know what to do when I'm standing there. I, th- this is comfortable. Just talking about what God's word said, this is comfortable. Standing there being honored is not very comfortable for me because I know me. And, and I know the, the deep down in me that y'all don't know. And, and I know you, you know there's a deep down in me because there's a deep down in you too. You go to bed with them every night and you know who you are. I know who I am. And I'm thinking, oh man, can we just hurt? And, but that's, I don't know what to do. But honestly, we like to be honored, don't we? We like to be told. We like to be elevated. We like to be celebrated. But let me tell you, no earthly honor. And you might be going through one right now. You might even be pursuing an earthly honor. And and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with pursuing elevation or pursuing promotion or anything. I don't think there's anything wrong inherently with that. But just keep this in mind. You'll never receive anything on this earth that's going to compare to what God wants to do in and through your life that nobody else in your life may ever see. When you stand before your Lord, if you know Jesus as your Savior, all of those accolades we get in this life, all of that stuff is going to be gone. That was your reward here. The things that he's going to celebrate are the things that he's doing in your life that you obediently embrace, which is what Zechariah is just about to have to do. We've seen a faithful couple. We've seen an angelic encounter. Now we're going to see an unbelievable message. This message is unbelievable. First, he says, in verse number 13, the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. You're not in trouble. Because don't you know he was thinking, I'm going to die. He's, oh, 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 breathe, son. It's all good. No trouble here. For your prayer has been heard. Oh, my prayer's been, which one? I mean, which one of my prayers has been heard? I, I've been in here praying. Which one have you been hearing? And then the angel says something that, will, that I think will cause us to make a right turn too quickly. I, I think this, this verse is going to cause us to pull into the driveway of a particular prayer that the angel's not really talking about. But, but look what he says. Your prayer has been, been heard, and your li- wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Your prayer's been heard, Zechariah. Which one? The angel doesn't say the one you've been praying about having a baby. That's not what he said. He says just in general, your wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son. Don't pull into the driveway of, of the prayer that God has, has heard is that they want a baby. But, but here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to ignore the house of the prayer for the baby. Because that's a prayer they had obviously been praying. Makes most Bible students wonder 
if they were still even now actively praying for a child in their advanced age because they had seen God do similar things in the Old Testament and figure, well, if he could do it then, he can do it now. We're just going to keep praying in faith, believing and waiting for God's will to be accomplished. The angel says, you're going to have a baby. You're going to name him John. Takeaway number three, don't stop praying, Christian. You've got a burden on your heart. You've got a, a, a thing that's troubling you, and, and, and you, you know that God can fix it. God can address it. God can make a way for it. You know he can, but, but thus far, he's not done that. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing in the God who can do anything he wants to do, but who will do absolutely the right thing every time. So we keep on praying, we keep on believing, and we keep on waiting and trusting that God's will will be accomplished, even if he doesn't do it like we want him to. Christian, keep praying. Mildred Knight, one of the founding members of this church, prayed. Some of y'all remember her. She was a Jewish Christian. Uh, first week here, I preached a message about uh, the, the title of it was uh, Be a Pig. One of these days I'll preach it. I don't have time to do it this morning. But she was Jewish. And, you know, Jews don't eat pig. They don't eat pork. She came up to me afterwards, and, and, and she said, now, Pastor, and this is one of the first couple of weeks, she said, now, Pastor, I'm so glad you're here, and I loved you, and I love that message, but I'm Jewish, and I can't, be a, I can't be a pig. And I said, well, that's okay, Miss Mildred. You just be a fried chicken, and we'll be, in the same, we'll be on the same table. And she said, I can do that. Mildred Knight prayed for 50 years. Ain't that right, Miss Shirley? 50-plus years for her husband to accept Jesus as Savior. They separated he was away, and, and, and ultimately he lived in a nursing home a good ways away from her. They couldn't live. There came a point where she's like, I can't stay in the same house. They separate. But you know what she did? She continued to care for him, and she prayed for him for over 50 years to accept Jesus as her, as a Savior. You know what ultimately happened? You know what ultimately happened. He trusted Jesus as a Savior. They never got back together, but her faithfulness to her Lord was translated in her faithfulness to her husband that she could not live with anymore. Man, what a champion for Christ Mildred Knight was. Don't stop praying. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, certainly, Zechariah was going to rejoice. How many, how many fathers do we have? Raise your hand if you're a father. Keep your hand up if you have multiple children. All right. You know, because I know these that only have one. You can put your hands down. I know these fathers that only have one child. I know that they experience like magnitude of joy on the day of their first child. 
Here's what I know about you who have had multiples. You go, I can't explain it. It's the same thing every time. There's just something about the day of the birth of your child that just sends you in the tall walking and can't nothing be bad on that day because you're a new dad and sometimes a new dad again. And you're feeling that. The angel's going, and you will experience joy and gladness. And Zachariah's like, I'm, I'm having a baby. You better believe I'm going to experience some joy and gladness. No, no. And many too. Well, of course, I got friends and family and neighbors who are going to be celebrating this miracle. No, no. You're going to experience joy and gladness because he's going to be great before the Lord. You see, the prayer that's been heard, it's not directly the one about having a baby. No, no. The prayer that God's heard is that one that you was praying before I showed up. That your partner was praying the night before. That that, that the other guy was praying the morning before. That the other guy was praying the night before. And time after time after time had been praying. And praying in Babylon while you were there suffering because of disobedience. And praying over here were kings and some were faithful and some were not. And y'all were praying. God's heard the prayer. And this one you're going to name John is going to be great in the Lord. Takeaway number five. Don't stop praying, but continue learning to submit your life to God's bigger plan and purpose. Keep praying for the thing like you want it to be. Keep praying for the thing like your heart is being drawn to. Keep asking God to do the thing you want him to do for his glory. But continue to learn how to submit what you want to something that God is doing bigger. Paul wanted out of jail. Paul wanted to be able to preach to people and travel with freedom. And Paul probably kept saying, God, if you'll just release me. God, if you'll just let me go. God, I can't do what you've called me to do because I'm in this jail cell. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon. Continue learning how to submit your life to the thing God's doing that's bigger than you can know or understand. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow. I'll grant you that. But I promise you, it'll never fail. And, and, and you'll be fewer and far between mad at God for not doing what you ask him to do when you start seeing him do what he's doing from a bigger perspective. He said he's going to be great. And he must not drink wine. Beef. He, he, he must not drink strong drink. This is going back to that Nazarite vow that others had, had been under. It probably not cut his hair. Luke didn't say it. But that Nazarite vow was a, a visible sign of being set apart for God. The angel said, name him John. And then make sure that he adheres to the Nazarite vow. That way folks will know that he's set apart for God's purpose And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Something similar was said one other time. It's found in the Old Testament that God was going to fill them and prepare them even in their birth process. His name was Jeremiah. We find it interesting that God now is speaking about another prophet coming 
in a very similar time frame, not time frame, but in a very similar context with a very similar message. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Let me back up a minute. I got ahead of myself one verse. Take away number five if you're writing them now. Take away number five. God never calls his people to anything that he won't personally equip them for. I'm going to say it again. God never calls his people to something he won't personally equip them for. Can we go back to Ephesians? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. For what? To accomplish anything and everything that God has called you to do and to be. God never called you to something he won't equip you for. He says he will turn or he will go before him, verse 17, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What Luke is doing here is he's going back to the last prophet that spoke in Israel before God was quiet for about 420 years. If you think about your Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Numbers, and you start doing them, you get down to the minor prophets, and the last one is the Italian prophet, Malachi. You knew where I was going, didn't you? It's a dumb joke, but I had to say it. Malachi, the last Old Testament prophet, speaking during the time of, of Nehemiah, coming after Haggai and Zechariah, and he's the last one. And one of the last things he says, in fact, the very last thing he says in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, is that one is coming, it's going to be like Elijah, and he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. He quotes little bits of Malachi 3.1 and Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Everybody in the Levitical priesthood knew the Malachi prophecies. They knew that when Messiah come, there was going to be a forerunner. They might have even expected that it would be a reincarnation of Elijah because he's mentioned. But now the angel is saying, your boy, John, is going to have the Holy Spirit for a special purpose. He's going to be the forerunner. Like the prophet of Elijah of old, that bold would just stand. I mean, I know he had some cowardly moments, but there were times when he'd just look at the king. And it ain't going to rain till I tell you to. Till I tell it. And so... Live with it. That's what God's doing. I mean, he slaughtered the prophets of Baal on the side of the mountain after calling down fire. John, like Elijah, is going to set the stage for the Lord. Take away number six if you're writing them down. God's promises are sure, even though long waits are involved. How long had it been since the last prophet had said something about the coming of Messiah? Over 400 years. All right, now I want you to put yourself in this position. How long has it been since Jesus said, If I go, I will come and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. About 2,000 plus years. The takeaway is God promises and you can count on it even though you might have to wait for it. 
even though you might close your eyes in death before it ever comes true. But if God said it, it's gonna happen. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall, how shall I know this from an, I'm an old man? It makes sense. My wife is <laughs> advanced in years. I'm an old man. She's advanced, okay? The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Makes total sense. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his, he went to his home. Zechariah's world was rocked, his mind was blown, and he foolishly asked for a sign of certainty, as though the angel was not enough. And he's serving, and it's once in a lifetime, and I just happen to be here. But could you show me something for certainty? I sure can. You're not going to be able to talk. And he stayed mute for approximately nine months. Now, I don't know, women. Is that an amen? <laughs> that your husband would be quiet for the entire pregnancy? It's just gonna, I just, I don't know. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. Of course she did. Not, not immaculately, by the way. It's it just normal conception here. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. Of course she did. She was advanced in age, and she was pregnant, and she thought in her mind, this thing has got to be very fragile. And so she kept herself hidden, saying, verse 25, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach from among the people. Think about how exciting this was for her. She had felt the stigma of not having a child, but now she's going to have one. Not that he's going to be great, but she's going to have a baby. It's going to be a boy. And now folks are going to see that God has taken away my personal reproach. Take away number seven. God's redemptive plan has always been about removing the reproach of our sin and restoring us to himself through Jesus. And that's what this whole account is about. God removing our sin so that we might be restored, not through an animal sacrifice, but through the sacrifice of our God and Savior received only by faith. If you're following along, you're saying, you missed one. You said number seven, and it's not number seven. I'll leave it to last. Take away number last. Every follower of the risen Jesus has a way more awesome opportunity than John. Oh, John was going to get the pinnacle service of prophets. 
Boy, was he pulling out the white stone. Boy, was he coming out with his fist wrapped around that thing because he was going to say, make way for the Lord. Messiah is coming and you better repent and you better get ready. Boy, did he pull the right side of the wishbone on that one. But think about what we get to do. Every last one of us who know Jesus as Savior has been called by the King himself. Go. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son. Tell them that I died and got up. And that you can be a part of us by faith alone. Through my work alone. And I'm I'm leaving it to you to go tell. And to you to go tell. And to you to go tell. Who am I supposed to tell, Lord? Everybody. And that's way more awesome than the opportunity John got. At least that's what I think. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you trusted him? Have you by faith seen his death and resurrection as sacrificial payment for your sin in its completeness, not just to cover it, but to wipe it away, to to, to take it as far as east is from west and, and to provide for you righteousness, not of your own, but that that has been given through faith in Christ and Christ alone. Do you know Jesus? You've never trusted him as Savior. I want to invite you to trust him today. Just accept him by faith. Leave from here a part of the family of God. Christian, got a lot of takeaways. A lot of things you need to go back and reread. Reread that section. Let God speak to you. Hear what he says. And be obedient. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. I thank you for the opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. He is worthy of all of our praise, all of our adoration. And thank you that we get to look at these passages as we're preparing for the holiday that we celebrate that's set aside for his birth. God, help us to hear what you've said in your word through this account, through this baby announcement. May you use it to challenge and to change us so we might be useful. We might be vocal representatives with a message to tell, also having the Holy Spirit as our power. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be together as a family. We ask that you will meet the needs that we all come to you with today. Some burdens very heavy, some seemingly impossible, but we know that nothing is impossible with you. And that your will is certain, and it's in our best interest. So we come on behalf of those who are calling on you faithfully, and we ask that you'll meet meet their needs according to your will. And use us for your glory this week. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.